0: Um, So as I mentioned, this Shabbat is uh, designated one city, one message. Churches, mosques, and synagogues across the Lower Mainland are all preaching on this same topic, the same verse or verses from Torah. The verse that I chose to focus on of the 36 that contain this message of welcoming the stranger is from Leviticus chapter 19. It's part of the Holiness Code. And it reads, and it should be familiar, I think, to all of us, The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. We find the roots of this most frequent commandment, which appears 36 times in our Torah, in the stories about Abraham, the man our tradition considers to be the very first Jew. In an effort to help us work with God to create a more just, a more caring and a more compassionate world, God made a breit, a covenant with Abraham and all of us who see ourselves as his descendants. In the covenant, God promised to protect Abraham, to give him progeny that he desperately craved, to make him and his descendants a permanent people. And after 4,000 years and many attempts to disavow that promise, we're still here. That is, I think, to some degree, permanence. And also to give us this tiny sliver of land in the Middle East that is modern-day Israel. There was no promise of oil. But a covenant is not a unilateral promise. It's not just, I will do and expect nothing of you. A covenant is a binding agreement, a give and a take. So in exchange for our fulfilling God's promise, God charged Abraham and really all of us with responsibilities as well and our responsibilities are among many to be a blessing to walk in God's ways and to live up to God's teachings to fill the world and to teach Abraham's descendants again that is all of us with Sadaka umishpat, with righteousness and with justice with this covenant in place our tradition offers us two stories in which Abraham welcomes the strangers in his midst. In the first, and we remember this one, I think, probably from some of us from our Sunday school days, he rushes out into the desert to greet three strangers that happen upon him from the horizon. And after bringing them into his tent, he helps them to wash and then serves them a delicious meal, which, if you read closely, isn't kosher, but we'll get to that in another sermon. Now, our Midrashic tradition, the, the folk tales that illuminate the biblical stories, expands the lesson of this particular story in an interesting way. We read that Abraham's tent, like the chuppah of a marriage canopy, was open on all four sides so that he would see all who approached from any direction. And once he spotted anyone approaching, he would rush out into the desert from the shade of his tent, from the comfort of his home, to welcome them in the same way that he welcomed those three strangers. Now another legend tells us that an old man wandered towards Abraham's tent on another day at another time. And our forefather Abraham, as was his custom, again ran out of his tent to greet the stranger. And he ushered him back and he took off his sandals and he washed his feet and he baked him some food and he fed him a delicious meal. And once the man finished dining... He took an idol out of his sack that was with him, and he began to worship it. At this, Abraham became enraged. Furious that the man would profane his tent with such blasphemy, Abraham screamed at him in rage. And before boldly picking the man up, he and throwing him out with his idol and his sack into the desert. But then Abraham, as he was in the midst of doing this, heard God's voice. And it called out to him in the familiar refrain, Avraham, Avraham, just as we'll hear later on Mount Moriah. And God says to Abraham in this midrash and this folktale, Abraham, Abraham, I have put up with this man and his idol worship for 75 years. Could you not have tolerated him for a single night in your tent? Ashamed, Abraham ran out into the cold and the desert and caught up with the man apologized profusely and implored him to return to his tent to rest longer these two stories remind us that our biblical mandate mandate is clear we must welcome the stranger indeed we have to be looking for opportunities to welcome the stranger because we know what it's like to be a stranger because we know what the stranger feels. Because the stranger, once welcomed, is no longer a stranger, but one of us, like us, a part of us, a fellow human being, a child of God. Now I've spoken many times about how this commandment implores us to act in the face of the Syrian refugee crisis and our work with the Mustafa family that we just welcomed a few months ago and now in two weeks our second family will arrive, the Isa family, we just found out yesterday of their arrival plans, will arrive in just two weeks and it's evidence that you, this congregation, you have all heard this call. You've said hinani here I am, and together we are leading not only our congregation but our community and I would say, in fact, the Jewish world in this sacred mitzvah of welcoming the stranger, of saving the lives of refugees. And I just need to tell you as an aside, both families, well, the the Mustafa family that is here is doing wonderfully. The children are in public school. The parents are learning English. Um, We had them over for a barbecue a couple of nights ago, and the kids were as Canadian as one could get. It was just wonderful and lovely. And the family that is coming is so excited to be here as well. Tonight, I'm not going to use this opportunity of One City, One Message to speak about refugees. My view on our Jewish imperative to respond with empathy to those running for their very lives is well-known in this congregation. Instead, tonight, I want to use this opportunity and this message, this unified message, to talk about how we welcome the non-Jew in our congregation, who is by some turns also a stranger. On this weekend of interfaith collaboration, let's acknowledge the very real interfaith collaboration that takes place in our homes, the homes of our children and our grandchildren. The person married to a Jewish spouse living as a member of our community, helping to raise Jewish children or grandchildren, establishing a Jewish home, supporting our mission as a congregation and as a people. Those remarkable people, though they feel like strangers, they are part of our family and we must welcome them with blessing. The recent Pew Center study of the American Jewish community, and I know that doesn't include Canada by definition, but it certainly does by extrapolation, found an intermarriage rate among non-Orthodox Jews of 71%, 58% if you include the Orthodox. This is up from 43% in 1990 and 17% in 1970. It's currently 71%. Put another way, more than two-thirds of non-Orthodox Jews who marry are marrying non-Jews. Intermarriage is a fact of Jewish life. It's not a disease. In my lifetime, and certainly in our children's lifetime, how congregations and communities address the particular needs and aspirations of our intermarried families will be, and already is, the most crucial challenge facing the Jewish people. Yes, Iran is a threat. Yes, anti-Semitism is on the rise. Yes, the Hebrew language is not being spoken anywhere outside of Israel quite frequently, but the biggest threat facing the Jewish people is not that there is intermarriage, but how we deal with intermarriage. The biblical term for the non-Jew living amongst us as one of us is ger toshav, In the modern vocabulary, we might call them righteous Gentiles, a term that I know is normally reserved for those non-Jews who risked their lives to save Jews during the Shoah, the Holocaust. But one that I think in our present circumstances, if we consider those numbers, is also, though certainly not equally, still a quite courageous act to be a non-Jew helping to raise Jews and create a Jewish home and a Jewish family. It takes courage to raise a child in a faith that you were not yourself raised in. It takes courage to walk into this building on a Sunday morning for religious school or on a Friday night for Shabbat services and encourage your children to intone words to prayers that you do not know and may not even understand. It takes courage to attend a Passover Seder, let alone eat gefilte fish. For anyone, Jewish or not laden with generations of customs and rituals, and let alone then to help make a Seder, as many Gere do every single year. But let's not only marvel at their courage, let's appreciate what these righteous Gentiles are doing to help sustain the Jewish people. That same Pew study also found, and this is really worth noting, that children of intermarriage in the millennial generation are far more likely to identify as Jewish compared to children of intermarriages in the previous generation. Think about that for a moment. Children of new intermarriages are more likely, far more likely, to identify as Jewish than those of the previous generations. So why is that? The reason to me is clear. Because in previous generations, if you married out, you were kicked out. But in some congregations and in many families we have learned that you cannot build a wall to wall off love. And so instead we have to build bridges and open doors, creating quite literally a place in the tent for the non-Jew, living amongst our community and our people. The words ger toshav are the ones our Torah and later our Talmud, our rabbis, used for the stranger who resides with you. Though the word ger sometimes comes from another verb that means to reside, and it also means convert. It's obvious to me in any way that we define it, that what makes this term so attractive and so appropriate are at least two things. One, it's in Hebrew, which grants Jewish legitimacy to our feelings of warmth towards non-Jews in our community. And every time I think about that, I think about that scene in Annie Hall where they're sitting around the table and they're talking about her illness and they whisper, cancer. Because if you say it, it becomes a reality. Our tradition has created a vocabulary word for these righteous Gentiles in our midst should tell us how sacred their role is. A ger toshav. And number two, related, it places non-Jewish spouses and allies in the middle of some of our most beloved words. It puts them in the Torah, not outside of our story, but part of our story. The words of Torah, the words that give our religious mandate to have empathy for others are their words too. Orthodox Rabbi Stephen Greenberg writes in his essay Between Intermarriage and Conversion, Finding a Middle Way, that the concept of ger toshav might help Jews engage more productively with intermarried families. Instead, he quoting, instead of focusing our attention on mixed marriages, why not attend instead to the problem of mixed homes? Why not secure the Jewish home by creating a contemporary definition of Ger Toshav? Not a convert to Judaism, but a Gentile who actively chooses to live among Jews. Why not recognize that? Why not celebrate that? even encourage that vital role of the ger toshav, the vital role that they play in safeguarding Jewish identity. Tonight, as we are reminded about the importance of the mitzvah of welcoming the stranger, a commandment that appears more than any other in the Torah, I would like each of us to look at how we in this congregation and we in our own homes and lives and families welcome and embrace those who come to us from different faiths or no faith at all? Have we made our home and our congregation like Abraham's tent? Are the doors open? Is it open on all sides? A place, as our mission statement for our congregation declares, a place that honors and sanctifies each and every person. The doors to conversion to Judaism are wide open at Temple Shalom. For those that choose to join our people, we have created many paths accessible to so many to do so. But our windows, for those that are looking in, must also be open as well. We must continue to embrace the Gertoshav, to honor those that are part of us, even if they technically choose to stand a bit outside looking in on us. There must be a place in the tent and at the table and in the shul them as well, not only out of pragmatism, but because our Torah commands it and demands it of us to make one to be like Abraham, to welcome the stranger. And then one day, as our prayers declare by Yom HaHu, God willing, they and all of us will be strangers no more. Can you hear at so may it be God's will. Amen. And so in a beautiful segue, I want to ask Rochelle and Sean to join me on the Bima and with your children too that are with you here. I'm going to ask the congregation to rise as we give them a blessing on their 17th wedding anniversary. Rochelle and Sean, you are the embodiment of what I was just speaking about. Sean, there's a mural on the wall of our religious school that I know our students were supposed to help you with, but that you painted. They did a lot, but you did more. You're Gervit Shav in our community your children have stood on this bimah, they've had bar mitzvah here, they will have bar mitzvah here you've made sure that you have created not only a strong connection to our congregation but a strong connection to Jewish faith and to identity and at the same time you have honored your own heritage and your own traditions your own origin story that's truly a blessing for all of us and you've done it for seventeen years which is a miracle (laughs) And so we offer you this blessing. First, a quote from Talmud. If the couple is worthy, Talmud declares, the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, will dwell with them. Makor Chayim, eternal source of blessing, we turn to you in gratitude for the strength and devotion that have preserved and sustained Sean and Rachel and permitted them to reach this hour and this moment In the midst of family and loved ones and their congregation, you look back upon the years that have passed since they first pledged themselves to one another.
1: Many and varied have been their
0: experiences since that day. Think about that for a moment. And many have been the mingled occasions of victory and defeat, of fulfillment and disappointment. And we recall the joys that graced their days with light and beauty and also remember the dark storms that shook them. In joys and trials alike, Adonai, you have been with them, and so may you continue to be with them, guiding and sustaining them in the years to come. Rochelle and Sean, may God bless you with health and contentment in the circle of your family and all your loved ones, near and far, and together we say, Amen. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam. Shehechianu, Vikiamanu, Vahigianu, Lazman, Hazen. Bless you, our God created the universe, who has given us life and sustained us, enabled this couple and this family and this congregation to arrive with you and with each other at this joyous occasion. And we say together, Amen. And Mazel 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 Yeah, you did something, huh? Yeah, 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 O lehoi Israel David malakh Israel ayvekayam David malakh Israel